You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 249. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show is my co-host, Annika Harrison. See ya. Hello. Yes, there is only the two of us. And the reason for that is something that Pontus has already announced on this show. But back then, when he announced that uh, his household has the plague, um, we didn't know that he would actually fall ill himself. Well, we don't know how bad it will turn out. But as of now, he saw it more fit to stay in bed. So we wish him good. Uh, speedy recovery yes yes Pontus. we need you here but don't uh take that as a, as a pressure take it as a <laughs> yes. motivation to get well again very soon <laughs> yeah don't tell him but i'm i actually got really worried about him it's not really like him to say that he's he can't he cannot make it so uh get well soon pontus we'll include you in our prayers pontus oh definitely i think i think uh, yeah he appreciates it very much <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've got a show to do, even without Pontus, even if it's not the same, but uh, we've got a couple of things to mention. It's probably not going to be the usual kind of show that we're, we we do uh, week after week, but we'll try our best with yes. Annika. So what have you been up to? Well, I've actually watched a very interesting documentary um, from the German state television. <laughs> okay. And it's about non-medical practitioners also lovingly called scam practitioners by Ed Ernst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we like that. Yeah. And agree with that totally. <laughs> and it um it's about the case of um a Dutch lady who was diagnosed with breast cancer and you probably heard of this Andres mm -hmm. is that she actually died for going to a non-medical practitioner and um not receiving the right treatment there. And there was even a court case about that because he gave very highly dosed medications or like not medications at all, but harmful spices or anything to um, to his patients. And um, she wasn't the only one who was severely harmed slash died. And um, what I really liked about the documentary is that the documentary is really well thought out without being too confrontational. Like they're not saying they're all frauds and they're all killers and murderers and no they just state what's what's happening and they talk with the family of the um, woman who died mm -hmm. and um yeah i found that really interesting so um we'll put the link for that in the show notes you can still watch it for the next year <laughs> if you're in, in, mm -hmm. in germany i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's definitely a documentary i would recommend Yeah, good. We need that kind of documentaries uh, very, yeah. very badly these days because yeah. all the documentaries or the so-called documentaries turn out to be pseudo-documentaries usually. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we need the real thing. Talking about the real thing, it's totally unbelievable that we are coming up to episode 250 with this show. That also uh, marks our five-year anniversary. And that's so cool <laughs> to have like... It is so cool. We are recording on uh, Tuesday, the 17th, uh, this week. We are a bit of it off the, the usual schedule. That means that the show goes out on the 19th. And the 18th marks our fifth anniversary of starting the show. The first episode aired on uh, November 18th, 2015. 
I don't believe this. So it's, <laughs> but it is what it is. <laughs> we have interviewed lots of people in the last five years. We've conducted more than 100 interviews. And we have had a couple of guest hosts on the show as well along the way. Including yourself, yes. <laughs> while you were all also a guest, uh, and now now you're here, uh, full for good. With I hope. real full ESP experience. <laughs> exactly, you yeah you get the full ESP experience. <laughs> but there have been a couple of others, so we're not talking about interviewees, but guest hosts. I'm not at liberty to announce the names at the moment, and that uh, the reason for that is obviously, especially with the COVID-19 situation, I really hope that no one gets the plague and everyone stays safe and healthy, but uh, family things or friends can fall ill and that could change our schedule. So we are not announcing the actual participants yet, but all of the people that have been guest hosts on this show have been asked and they have confirmed their participation. That means eight people will be on the call, on the Zoom meeting, that we plan to broadcast live on Facebook as well. So stay tuned for that. That will happen on Sunday the 22nd of November at 8pm Central European time. So mark your calendars, people. 8pm Central European time. 22nd of November, Sunday evening. That's when we are expecting you to be in front of Facebook and listening to the ESP on Facebook Live. Exciting! Yeah. <laughs> Exciting. I'm really excited. Uh, <laughs> this is something we haven't done before. Uh, two, two years ago, we did the first ever recording in front of a live audience. That was good fun. We loved every moment of it. You were there, Annika. How yes. did you like it from the audience? It was really cool. It um. I was like, it sounds weird, but because I've been listening uh, so much to the ESP when um, when the podcast was younger, so to say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really felt like a proud sister. I was like, oh, this is so cool. I, I'm so happy. And yeah, it was also just like so special to then listen to the episode afterwards because it just brought back all the funny memories of, for example, uh, Deborah spitting out the licorice uh, candy or something. It was <laughs> just brought back all the good memories. <laughs> Yeah, the funny thing that I remember fondly is uh, when I brought along my uh, my Hungarian uh, <laughs> sweets and uh, the name really shocked a couple of people. <laughs> I'm not going to say it out loud here because uh, I would then have to explain myself again uh, and tell the story, the history of that. Uh, but if so, if someone wants to listen to it again or just relieve the, the, the moment, uh, go back and listen to episode 143 of the ESP and you'll find the recording of that live show at QED 2018. Yeah, and then you'll probably find out at least some of whom <laughs> might be our guest hosts for the next year. And that's all I want to say about that. <laughs> yeah, but we, we are really excited and I'm very hopeful that uh, Pontus will fully recover before that uh, happens. So... Let's move on to doing this show. And I'm wondering if you have anything to talk about uh, skeptical history of the week. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, we don't have a This Week in Skepticism event this week. <gasps> but if you want, dear listeners, <laughs> you can send us historical events of science and skepticism from Europe. And we'll be happy to use them. And we'll also give you a shout out if you were the one to send it in. 
because we'll always be happy to add events to our skeptical calendar and add dates to our uh, skeptical history calendar. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you um, if you want to do that, that would be really cool. Our only criteria would be it has to do something with science and skepticism or critical thinking, and it has to be Europe-based. Yeah, that's all. But it would be so great to have this uh, crowdsourced to at least to some extent. I love uh, how occasionally we get news items from people uh, who listen to the show uh, sending stuff at our direction. And uh, that is very much appreciated. And um, we usually mention that as well when when it happens. So, uh, yeah, keep them coming. If you have something that you haven't heard on this show as um, an item for This Week in Skepticism, please let us know. Even if it's just a thing that no one else from Europe has heard of. And please make sure that you provide the source as well. So some kind of source, preferably in English, but if there is no English source, we'll we make do with the, with the original language sources. After all, this is the age of uh, Google Translate, so we <laughs> might be able to cope with it. Yeah, so thank you very much in advance. But that means that we are moving on. Well, obviously, Pontus is not here, so Pontus cannot poke the Pope. So we are moving moving on from that. And uh, that means that uh, we're going to start with discussing what's new in the COVID-19 situation. Yeah, so in Germany, um, there's a pretty popular COVID denier and conspiracy perpetrator. And nobody talks about a court case. There were people who actually charged him or wanted to charge him. And nobody's talking about his court case. So um, there have been about 30 charges like insults, uh, death threats or like threats. I think it was threats mm -hmm. and incitement of the people. Which is pretty, like in Germany, incitement of the people is a pretty big charge. But the thing is, his lawyers are still not talking about it. And yeah, they probably don't want to give him yet even like more publicity by, by talking about it. But it's it also seems a bit, yeah, people are wondering because they don't want this to fall under freedom of speech. Because what he, he has been saying is, is pretty rough and is also harming people or potentially harming people. But yeah, it's a bit difficult. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's really not an, an easy question whether to allow th something like that or just stop it right there. Because obviously it can become a freedom of speech is issue. So you don't want to add fuel to their fire, Yes. right? And that would give them the opportunity to claim that uh, there is a government conspiracy that want to shut them up. And uh, it would just escalate the whole situation. Yeah. So I would not like to be a um, high-level decision-maker in any of the countries today. Uh, some of them will be mentioned later on this on this show, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I, I don't think I've told you that... Uh, when we recorded the last episode, uh, I was preparing to attend one of the meetings of the COVID-19 deniers of Hungary. Mm. And it was in my hometown. And I went along and wearing a face mask, luckily it was compulsory. So mm -hmm. I didn't become unveiled <laughs> in front of the, the, the audience until my question. 
And I wasn't even provocative. I wasn't even confrontational. Uh, I mean, highly confrontational. So I didn't shout at them. I didn't call them liars or anything. What I did was I asked the question, have you thought of the possibility of being wrong? And if so, this is what I, exactly what I said. Because I'm sure that you think that science needs to lead the way and show, show the way that, that, that we're moving with this. What if the, the science that you see is wrong? And if you're wrong, are you willing to accept or live with that responsibility? And uh, can you live with your conscience if it turns out to be wrong what you're preaching? And many people die because they refuse to follow regulations. And that's when the, 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 the situation became really heated. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, people started shouting at me, calling me names, telling me how stupid I was. And I, uh, even though I listened to a two, two hour long talk, I still couldn't understand what they were saying. So um, this is what I experienced last week. Wow. It was almost uh, exactly a week ago. It was a shocking experience. And the, the room was full of people. Yeah. There were 70 to 100 people in the room. And they all cheered them. They all agree with them. Uh, it was terrible to listen to yeah and two hours of a talk that had only two sentences that were true which were these <laughs> one of them was that um the pcr test does not indicate an ongoing illness okay mm -hmm. that is actually true the other one i don't remember but <laughs> but i counted two. was probably good morning and, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen <laughs> yeah probably and there was even even some some praying involved in the process and 5g of course and all the conspiracies even the two speakers uh contradicted each other on some accounts it was ridiculous and people still ate it up wow all of it and i think that just shows how strong people who regularly do that yeah are just like have to be for like people of the information network homeopathy for example yeah. like regularly go into these meetings and get shouted at they just have to be so strong yeah i used to do that with uh creationists wow <laughs> but uh, i got tired of it and and i gave up and uh but occasionally i go to these uh funny product <laughs> shows and things like that no 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 not anymore but one thing that seems to be in favor of these people is that they claim to have science on their side, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what seems to have happened in Italy. Uh, there was a, a research, a piece of research published uh, from uh, Italian authors mm -hmm. in uh, the journal that's called Tumori. Well, it's an Italian paper. It's not of not one that is of uh, high prestige. So that's quite a big of red flag there. And uh, they claim that uh, they detected SARS-CoV-2 antibodies in Italian patients before the pandemic was supposed to arrive to Europe. Mm -hmm. So much so that they claim that in September 2019, they could already detect the SARS-CoV-2 antibodies in patients. And they investigated uh, SARS-CoV-2 receptor binding domain specific antibodies in uh, blood samples of 959 asymptomatic individuals. The number of patients they dealt with uh, were enrolled in a, in a lung cancer screening trial. So it was completely unrelated. But they decided to go for it and, and test them for antibodies. Now, how, how this came to my attention was, do you remember Gabor Kemenesheh, uh, yeah. the, the yeah. virologist we interviewed? 
And he posted this on, uh, on Facebook. And he made a couple of very important points about this. First of all, please, before you report on something like that, uh, make sure that you know what you're talking about. Yes. If you read through the article, the original publication, they, they did an ELISA test that is usually, it's, it's quite uh, regularly and routinely used uh, for detecting antibodies. But the thing is that whenever you are not sure about the specificity of a, a certain antibody, you have to check for cross-reactivity. Mm -hmm. Because it can happen that um, an antibody that is raised against one antigen by your body, it can be effective against two different antigens. Yeah, especially because, yeah, isn't that like a coronavirus is also a part of a normal like yes. cold, isn't so it? So <laughs> this is the this is the thing. They should have tested for a cross reactivity with other coronavirus antigens. Yeah. So you know the antigens are the ones that trigger the production of the antibody. So yeah, this was not the case. They didn't do that test. They didn't check for a cross reactivity. So the whole thing is very poor. That's one thing. The other thing is how not highly respected uh, that uh, journal is where they published the paper and no one else seems to have replicated their results and in their conclusions in the actual paper they say that they detected so there is proof that they have detected SARS-CoV-2 antigens as uh, early as September 2019 and the other thing which every skeptic should raise a flag with about this whole issue is that Based on the current knowledge, scientific knowledge, about the pandemic, it started in Wuhan in November 2019, right? Yes. And it reached Europe in February 2020. So that is the scientific consensus currently. If you go against the scientific consensus, then you will have to be sure that you are right. So you don't just say that you have to rethink the whole picture or about the pandemic situation, because it's not the case, it's especially with a poor study. Yes. You have to be very, very thorough in your approach. So, as Carl Sagan famously said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. <laughs> this is an extraordinary claim saying that it was here in Europe in summer 2019. Already. Yeah, before it actually was in Wuhan. <laughs> because, but yes. So, if you make a bold claim like that, then <laughs> you're going to be expected to provide very strong evidence. And that has not happened. And the problem I see there is is that it's so harmful. Exactly. Because people who read that, like who just skim over it, they're just, they will be like, yeah. oh yeah, they don't know what they're doing. Why should I keep following the rules? Because they don't know what yeah. they're doing. It's all fabricated, blah, 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 blah. This just gives yeah, them yeah. fuel, like even more. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of news outlets in Italy and even in the UK picked it up. The tabloids, of course, in the UK, it was a tabloids, but they jumped right at it and uh, the harm is done then. Yeah. 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 So good. then people will reject recommendations and even regulations. So there's nothing else to do but complete lockdowns. And right? yes. And speaking of which, Austria is back into a very restrictive lockdown now. So... Oof. Not the, like the lockdown light they have here in Germany. And they actually call it lockdown light in Germany. <laughs> Do they? <Yes>. Okay. <laughs> because, because like most restaurants are closed, but you can still order it and uh, take like take away. Um, okay. Uh, hairdressers are still open. Schools are still open. Um, but you can't have like 
big concerts and you are allowed to uh, to meet a lot of people except for in schools um mm-hmm. <laughs> but um yeah in, in austria they actually have a proper full lockdown now again and the schools are closed and they're urged to not meet anyone out of their whole household mm-hmm. um but i have to say good decision because their infection rates were absolutely exploding um the health system of austria was already on the verge of collapse and i think there was like um, i saw a diagram where you could see like the the rate of infections like the how high it was and austria was i if i remember correctly the highest at that because it just jumped so much mm-hmm. so yeah good decision uh austria that you went back to a very restrictive lockdown yes yeah i don't know what's happening here but orban keeps claiming that we are following the example of austria <laughs> which is very funny coming from him but um yeah so we've got at the moment i don't know if it uh, if it changes in the next couple of days but at the moment we've got the uh, regulations oh oh, oh they, they've got back the, the special powers last uh, last uh, wednesday uh, they closed down uh, high schools, everything from high mm. school and up. So high schools and um, and universities are now doing uh, online education, which is still something that the teachers, most of the teachers are struggling with. Never mind. <laughs> and the other thing is that uh, we have a curfew between 8 p.m. and 5 a.m. Mm. So the funny thing is, at first, they introduced a curfew between midnight and 5 a.m., which is big fat what the fuck (laughs) which is more like a well sleeping anyways (laughs) yeah because normally that's the time when people just roam the streets right (laughs) and they keep infecting other people come on but the reason for that was you know that he's he's a big fan of football right Mm -hmm. he's a massive fan of football and he's um really subsidizes football as well big time and they kept organizing the football matches oh (laughs) and the reason for that midnight to 5 a.m curfew was that they could still watch the show yeah yeah so 9 p.m the football match started at 11 p.m they were on their way home and by midnight everyone was home (laughs) ridiculous yes never mind (laughs) they had to change that so last wednesday they made very very strong restrictions if i walk on the street in the town center of my hometown Mm -hmm. i have to wear a face mask yeah, it's like here, if I take a walk outside, then I don't have to wear a mask. But uh, I usually take one with me because if it's busy, I'd much rather wear a mask than running around yeah. people on a That's main right. street or so. But if I go yeah. into town, then um, like uh, we have these pedestrian roads and there they actually have signs like, please put your mask on. And Yeah, well, we don't have signs like that. But, yeah. <laughs> but ours is only out of paper with like a bit of <laughs> lamination. <laughs> so it's not really a big sign, but it's... It's a sign. <laughs> yeah, I think we're living in exciting times and especially with also some good news on the horizon, right? Yes, yes. Actually, yeah, we know that this current situation of, uh, well, some call it a second wave, it's it's quite obvious that without a vaccine, we will not beat this. And without the vaccine, things will not get back to normal. So we are expecting a vaccine to come around sometime soon. And it looks like it is in the making. So, uh, well, there are around 200 vaccine candidates at different phases of uh, being trialed. Uh, but there are two specifically mm. that are currently in phase three. 
and their preliminary results of their uh, phase three look very very promising one of them is pfizer who a couple of days well the funny thing was that right the day after we recorded the last episode so <laughs> everyone was reporting it on it and uh, we we couldn't because uh, that that was already recorded so cool it looks like uh, it, it had a 90 percent efficacy in uh, preventing people from getting uh, the virus mm. which is quite cool it's unexpectedly high but the problem is that it's still preliminary so we don't know what the the actual outcome of the study will be uh, but it's a large-scale trial tens of thousands of people participating in it so it looks quite promising and the other one is uh, Moderna that uh, only a couple of days ago announced that uh, their vaccine looks even more promising than that because it has a 95% efficacy of preventing people from catching the virus. Mm. So if that's the case, then it really looks promising because even a, a regular flu vaccine can go up to 30 to 50, <laughs> <Yes>. 60% <laughs> efficacy. So, Which are still odds that I'm willing to take because it's better than zero. <laughs> exactly. That's absolutely the responsible approach. So that means that if that's the case, then it will definitely be a must. I'm not saying that it should be made compulsory because that would probably result in a public outcry. Yeah. But making it available to as many people as possible, that's a thing. But we have to remind ourselves that it's still not out. The trials are still going on and it's not a report through a scientific paper. They were press releases by the companies doing the development. So that's another thing that makes you a little bit cautious about those details. But uh, now, one of the good things, if there is something that's good about this <laughs> uh, as an outcome of this pandemic, is that those developments have to be absolutely open for scrutiny and absolutely transparent. Otherwise, it will not be able to gain the trust of the people. So, yeah. It's good. We're looking forward to the actual outcome. And it's probably even more important to inform people who yeah. are not completely like denying COVID, but are more like, oh, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. I don't know what they put into the vaccines or something like that, mm -hmm. that you just tell them, hey, it's still uh, improving your odds significantly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And on other uh, funny or good notes... The German government actually published some government messages in form of, it almost looks like an ad, but it's also um, a bit like a looking back to the 80s style uh, with um, like okay. time witnesses <laughs> and everything. Um, so it's really funny. The short um, videos that they published with the hashtag Besondere Helden, which means special heroes. And what you see there is pretty much in the one video you see a woman and the other one you see a, a man and they are a bit older. And they say like, oh, yeah, I remember 2020. That's long ago. <laughs> and um, it's really like go looking, looking back. And we uh, had a good year and then it happened and all the world depended on us. And and then uh, they, it really gets dramatic and you look at them and the music turns on and they all depended us to do nothing <laughs> and yeah it's just it's just really well done um it was funny <laughs> yes someone provided us with uh, english subtitles for them as well so uh we'll be we will be able to 
a link to those with the English subtitles. Yeah, we'll we'll try that. Yes, on the show notes. And it yeah, it was just it was just funny. Of course, we're in Germany, so of course the, um, they also received some criticism for that. Like being bored is a privilege, or uh, the pandemic is too cruel to joke about it, and um, yeah, because we're in Germany, like people will never be <laughs> only be be entertained. Um, but overall, the re- reception was really good and like well deserved because it it was a good, mm. a funny thing and and also encouraging people to do nothing and <laughs> to stay home. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations to the German government. <laughs> well, uh, there are things that they can prevent. More on that later. So, from COVID-related news, uh, let's uh, cover a couple that <laughs> has nothing, or at least only minor connection to COVID-19. And the first one I'd like to share with everyone is the new pre-bunking game. Of course, it's uh, the, uh, it was developed by the team um, headed by Sander van der Linden. And the game is called Breaking Harmony Square. And it's the usual, you know, you remember bad news, right? Yeah. It's very similar. It starts out as you being hired by a um, company, a virtual company, as a chief disinformation officer. And <laughs> <laughs> it sounds really cool. And uh, then you need to lead the campaigns and you uh, walk uh, through the whole thing. And I think on the interview, uh, Stephen Lewandowski mentioned that, that uh, there was um, actual research coupled with that game the release of that game and 15,000 participants were involved in that research and they showed that susceptibility to fake news headlines went down by 21% after playing this game so it's really cool yeah it's something that they managed to prove that it works and obviously there might be some concerns about making people aware so much about i think that that uh was also mentioned by steven on the yeah. on the interview that if we make people aware of those techniques of how to spread disinformation then there might be a couple of people who use that to fulfill their nefarious goals so we we don't want that of course but um i think steven mentioned that uh, the game has been somewhat altered to take that into account and uh, and well try to eliminate that threat so good and then obviously we'll link to the to the game and uh play it please uh make it available to others and see what the outcome is yeah (laughs) in germany um there's a thing we don't know the outcome of yet (laughs) Mm -hmm. because there's another science communicator and journalist charged for speaking out against frauds and of course we don't know yet how that turns out it's pretty much reminiscent of the court case against um patrick vermeeren mm-hmm. because um Bärbel schwertfeger is a psychologist an author and a journalist and she has frequently been charged by frauds and and other people and the thing is like with with um patrick vermeeren it's even if you're right you will still have outstanding costs at first and that's why the German skeptics actually provided a link um, to to donate for Berbe Schwertfeger. because she and and we all I think we all would agree with, with that she sees it as a very important thing to speak out on the side of evidence, especially in our current times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the same with with Patrick Vermeeren. If you can spare anything, then I'm sure Berbe Schwertfeger would appreciate 
some donations from from you dear listeners but if you can't then also we would of course appreciate if you just share the link and make it more more known mm -hmm. well <laughs> talking about being more popular and more more known Ed Ernst is quite, quite well known and uh, he's well known for his criticism towards uh, alternative medicine or so-called alternative medicine, a scam, as he likes to call it. And uh, he's come up with quite an ingenious thing, in my opinion. And that is a challenge, a global challenge for all homeopaths. Oh, wow. So <laughs> he starts out by explaining what uh, proving is in homeopathy. You know what proving is, right? I think I probably only know the German word for it. Yeah, Arzneimittelprüfung. Oh my God, <laughs> that sounds very good. That it, that 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 thing. That thing. Yeah. And uh, that's about um, healthy people taking the the uh, homeopathic remedy and then jot down what they experienced and they, this is how they come to the conclusion of what it is useful for. But the thing is that if it's a homeopathic remedy. And by definition, it will have to be potentized to a certain level. That means that with analytical techniques, you will not be able to distinguish between two different uh, homeopathic remedies. Yeah. So that's the premise that Adzard Ernst calls the homeopaths out with. And um, since he says that homeopaths are convinced that they can uh, find out without previous knowledge about what's in the box through the method of proving what the homeopathic remedy holds, mm -hmm. right? So he challenged them and he says that in order for everyone to be happy, he's willing to order six different uh, homeopathic remedies that the homeopath themselves say that it's unmissable. They will definitely know what it is through the method of proving. Okay, then Edzardens will get the, his hands on the, the actual remedies from a trusted source. Mm -hmm. And then a third person will do the, the actual administration of the stuff. And he, it will be sent off to the person, obviously marked with numbers. So it, it will be a double-blind test. So neither the, the homeopath nor Edzard Ernst will know what's in the box. Quite cool. I think it's a good concept. Yeah. And uh, the homeopath will have a hundred days for conducting the provings, then get back to with the results, and um, they will put together all the numbers with uh, all the information that can be uh, matched with it. And it will see um, provide us with an idea, a very good idea, as to how good the method of proving <laughs> might be. And, well, you can say he puts his money where his mouth is because his proposal goes as whoever does this needs to deposit 2,000 euros onto an account uh, with the, the notary, mm -hmm. the, 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 the person uh, who, who does the administration performing these formalities and Edzardens will do the same. So there will be 4,000 euros on that account and whoever wins this will take the 4,000 euros. So if the homeopath can prove that proving works, then obviously they're going to gain 2,000 euros. If it turns out not to be working, then the 2,000 euros, extra euros, go to Edzardens. 
So I think that's quite fair. And he even offers the homeopath the opportunity to discuss the details of the protocol to a certain extent. But the basic idea is this. So this is his global challenge. So people, if you know a homeopath, if you know anyone who might be interested, please pass this on to them, because I'm pretty sure that this is a serious challenge. And he's accepting entries into the challenges before the end of the year 2020. So that's Edzard Ernst's new challenge for homeopaths all over the world. And I have to cool. I have to add to that is um, if you as a homeopath win against Edzard Ernst, <laughs> then you will, will have done something uh, pretty, pretty um, impressive. And then you can go on and do the do the homeopathy challenge that the Information Network homeopathy issued and just win more money. So, <laughs> Yeah, how much is that? I think it was several thousands. Well, you know, the problem is that with a, with a homeopath, with a well-established practice, I think they can make much more money just practicing homeopathy. So why go all, into all that trouble? That's my question. That was 50,000. 50,000? No, that's something. Yeah. Okay. 50,000 that might be worth doing for a homeopath. Yeah, exactly. So uh, if I'm if I'm uh, correctly informed, I think after waiting 2 years after Skepcon 18, okay. they now say like, oh, maybe we don't we won't have any people who will challenge us." <laughs> but I'm sure you you can talk to them if you're the homeopath who wins against uh, Edson Ernst. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That Good. yeah. So do it. Do the challenge. <laughs> Definitely. So we talked about thermographic imaging before, right? I'm pretty sure we did. I think so. Yeah. And last week, a uh, an article by Dr. Alice Howarth um, came out in The Skeptic mm-hmm. and uh, was shared by EXO <laughs> about thermographic imaging and why it's a such a risk to cancer patients. Mm. Because um, scan practitioners are often promoting thermographic imaging as an alternative to x-rays or mammography. Mm-hmm. And um, what it's doing, it's using infrared thermographic technology. And um, it actually was used like that um, several decades ago because the tumors have their own blood vessels. So growing tumors could be detected as um, hot spots, as it's claimed. But mm-hmm. the problem here is that a hot spot doesn't mean a tum- there's a tumor. It can also be like, for whatever reason, a warmer spot on your body. And other tumors are often or very often undetectable by infrared, which then means that false positives and false negatives are very common. And they're definitely not a substitute for the technology, for the modern technology we now have, like mammography or x-rays. And Alice also said that mammography seems to be um, as safe as infrared technology. So there's no reason to not use the technology that has been improved and that has been proven to work way better. And yeah, that's why it's um, thermographic imaging does pose a risk to cancer patients because there will be growth that are not picked up. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this stuff, there's a dilemma again, whether to stop it, I mean, by regulations or, or how do you stop it? The The least we can do is challenge them yeah. publicly uh, because if, it's, if it doesn't happen, then it will just spread because people will believe that shit. Yeah, and I think the most important thing we can do here is exactly what... Um, uh, Dr. Ellis Howarth um, article in The Skeptic is doing, like informing people and, and um, mm-hmm. like showing them why they shouldn't 
trust only on on uh, non-medical practitioners and yeah, yeah yeah why it's so important that you know what people are doing to you yeah. in the medical system yeah yeah well on a different note not medicine related we often talk about climate change and uh, how climate change is being tackled and and approached by politicians and uh, I've recently done, done a, a piece on uh, Europe and uh, how the European Union proposed to set very important challenges to, to ourselves uh, in terms of climate neutrality and carbon neutrality before uh, 2050. And the thing is that there has been a lot of extra criticism recently because some things some factors have not been taken into account or have been uh well misleadingly taken into account and uh, there was a piece that came out actually published in nature from scientists um at the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology did I did I butcher that name uh, Karls Karlsruhe or Ru Karlsruhe yeah Karlsruhe mm-hmm. ah okay <laughs> Institute für Technology. <laughs> Techno- techno- How do you say it in German? Technology. I love that. <laughs> okay, so uh, they came out uh, saying that there is a big problem with the EU's approach to this um, carbon neutrality goal, and that is that uh, agricultural and other kinds of food-related imports have been uh, completely disregarded. So that means that the EU, well, obviously, um, there is a lot of food import to the EU from other countries across the world. And that means that as long as we don't take that into account, that means that probably in the European region, geographically, we will do our best to avoid carbon emissions and to completely reduce carbon emissions. But what about the things that we import from other countries? where that might not be the case, where crops are being produced in uh, damaging environmental uh, conditions like uh, deforestation and all that. And not to talk about the carbon footprint of transporting goods and transporting produce from other countries like Brazil and uh, other countries in South, South America or Canada or countries across the world. So that means... And I completely agree with that, that what the EU d- does with this is that they outsource their carbon footprint to other countries. And that is just not right. And I think that must be taken into account. And I think that has to be reduced as well. Yeah. That kind of carbon footprint. Because that means that we're not doing enough for the planet. So on a global scale, we're not doing our job. We're just giving it to someone else to deal with and that should not be the case and especially not for europe that is set to provide an example to the rest of the world about uh, the climate actions so if we want to be the the example then please act like it yes the whole world should act like it i have to say but yeah exactly yeah and something where we also still need some some heroes and some idols who want to be an example is the whole vaccination movement and anti-vax movement, because we still need somebody who can make vaccination more um, attractive <laughs> again. 
There was a joint. Sexy. Yeah. <laughs> Make vaccination sexy. <laughs> vaxy. <laughs> oh, very vaxy. Nice. <laughs> so coming back to why I'm saying that is that there was a joint report by the um, World Health Organization and the CDC. And they say that the number of measles cases climbed to a global total of 869,770. And this is the highest number of cases for 23 years. Wow. And um, the measles deaths climbed too. Some European countries I would name um, for that are, for example, the Ukraine or North Macedonia. Mm-hmm. And um, the main drive for this is the failure to vaccinate children on time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or not giving them the booster, because even if if it's just one shot, it's not going to be enough. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. and what they say is that we shouldn't forget, despite COVID, that the measles crisis is also still going. Yeah, and uh, it's yeah. COVID is mentioned more. <laughs> But uh, with measles, we already have a vaccine, and the vaccine can prevent deaths. That's right. And that's why it's so important to uh, vaccinate your kids and also get vaccinated yourself if you never yeah. had measles or never received a vaccination. Yeah. I mean, this period might not be showing on the statistics because with the lockdowns and with uh, social distancing, uh, the spread of uh, measles is restricted as well. Yeah, but and uh, it's from last year, like it's from t- uh, 2019. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right. So what I'm saying is that uh, the numbers will probably not reflect the, the 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 real situation with the the measles risks here because of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that has been all that uh, we wanted to share. And Pontus is not here, but uh, I thought we could still do a really wrong. So, <laughs> let's find out who has been really wrong lately. And surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I could only come up with this person uh, that is Viktor Orban. You couldn't resist. <laughs> and I know, I know I can resist. But the problem, the chief problem is that he couldn't resist. Doing stuff that has nothing to do with the pandemic. He is terrible at handling the pandemic situation, by the way. So his government has been making the absolute nonsensical decisions. Some of them I have mentioned already uh, with the the curfew between midnight and 5 (laughs) a.m. After the soccer game. (laughs) Yeah, they made parking free in uh, cities. But at the same time, they decided to try to provide more public transport at uh, peak hours. So that means more cars on the streets but also more public transport vehicles. So that that resulted in a total chaos in the mornings and in the afternoons yeah. in all the cities. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> we, we have no normal testing capacities. Our healthcare system is in the verge of collapse. Even he admitted that uh, it has a 50% chance of, uh, of surviving. I mean, the healthcare system itself, not the patients. <laughs> While he still keeps saying that we will do everything we can to save lives but before uh last wednesday uh, he proposed um, the new change back to governing by, by decree so special powers to him <laughs> because just because he deserves it right but on the night of that new situation what he was uh, bold enough to do was proposing a same-sex adoption ban 
Wow. And not even as a law, but he wants to draft, uh, put it in the constitution. Wow. And they came up with that on the night that they announced that um, the new uh, restrictions will be in place from Wednesday morning. So the decision about that and the announcement about this uh, uh, same-sex adoption ban came out on Tuesday evening, along with the announcement that the restrictions will apply, the new restrictions will apply from the next morning, from midnight the next morning. Wow. Still, in the morning, people did not have a clue of whether they could go to work, whether their children had to go to school. So they couldn't make it happen in time so that they could have informed the public. No, what they found important is to propose a constitutional amendment that will ban uh, adoption for same-sex couples. They have already made it illegal for same-sex couples to marry. And now they want to permit only married couples to adopt children. And what they also want to include in the Constitution is the statement that they would like to specify in the, uh, the Constitution that the mother is a woman, the father is a man. So there are no other combinations. They want to put it in the Constitution. Which is not only homophobic, but it's like against the whole LGBTQIA plus uh, movement. And it's against basic human yeah, rights. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> so it's, it's like, what the fuck? You, why do you want to restrict people? And, and please stop telling people how to live their lives and how to love and how to raise a family. So why it, they found it necessary to allow adoption only for, uh, for married couples is, first of all, that same-sex couple could not do it. The other thing is... And this has stirred up quite an outrage and quite a controversy because it's, it doesn't only hurt LGBTQ community people, which would be more than enough in itself, but it also hurts single parents because yes. single yeah. people can no longer adopt children. And the only way for same-sex couples so far has been that one of them, as an individual, applied for an adoption. But this could no longer be the case if this happens. And they also want they expressed their concerns about children being raised in same-sex families and learning about same-sex couples and uh, same-sex uh, relationships. Not to talk about transgender. That's another issue yeah. that they want to completely eliminate. And he says that um, child has the right to stick to their gender that was um, determined at birth. Yeah, but who denies that right? Yeah. But if you specifically state that in the Constitution, that means that you deny their right to change that. Yeah, it's it's baffling and it's crazy and it's uh, frightening. Yeah. <laughs> and it's quite obvious that the reason why they came up with that timing, the timing of that idea yeah. is exactly that they restricted movement they uh, announced that it would not be allowed to go out on the streets and protest about anything. And then, when it's, in, it's been introduced, they come up with shit like that. Yeah, and it's, that is just 
outrageous. Especially because people, like if you put a restriction uh, or like a lockdown in, people will also be less likely to talk about the, the thing they actually did in the background. Exactly. Like ex exactly. added to that, that they, they can't demonstrate, but they also won't talk about it. Yeah. And he's a master of that. And he's a master of manipulation. And uh, actually, he's a little piece of shit. But you know what? Now he's fucking with the EU as well. He's fucking with all of you guys. Yeah, I read that. So now what he did with, well, his good friend, the, 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 the Polish government. What a surprise. <laughs> the good friends in crime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. So he decided not to go for it and he decided to veto the, the next seven-year budget. And uh, not only that, but the coronavirus reco recovery plan as well. Yeah. Which is more than outrageous. We are talking about people's lives 450 million people will be affected by that. And it just seems so spiteful. It's just like... It is, yes. <laughs> and you know why why that is the case? What his problem with that is? That it has been proposed that going forward, payment of these funding projects will be linked to how much the rule of law is respected in the country. And obviously, this is something that he cannot allow. He can do it. He can veto that, and he already has announced that he would veto that. So far, it has been a political veto, but an actual technical veto will be on the table as well. And uh, with the Polish government, um, they are supporting each other on cases like this. So he's just they are just holding the rest of the EU hostage. That should not be allowed. Which is also, yeah, not boding well. Yes. Can lead to a lot of other problems. Yes, yes. So it's just irresponsible. And the other thing is that uh, obviously there would be more taxes that will be required from the government. And he doesn't want that either. Because he's having problems getting out all the money that, that's necessary to run the country. Because he's handed out all the money he could to all his friends. And um, especially EU money. So... I don't know. I, I cannot even find words to describe uh, his actions. So, four, proposing constitutional amendment, amendments that will discriminate same-sex people by not allowing them to adopt children and uh, pushing further into this illiberal bullshit that he keeps building up in the country. Viktor Orban, Hungary's prime minister, gets this week's prize for being really wrong. Well deserved. <laughs> and I've put it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> so he's called Orban Victor in in Hungary? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. <laughs> and you know, he always has to be the victor. That's the problem. <laughs> All right. So I think that concludes our show. Uh, but before we go, I'd like to ask you, Annika, to share a quote with us. Yes, because today everything's different. <laughs> yes. Come back, Pontus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need you. We need our regularity. <laughs> no, but I've got a good quote for you. Um, good. And it's by Richard Dawkins, who we all know, <laughs> the British mm -hmm. ethologist, evolutionary bio biologist and author, and also the founder of the Richard Dawkins Foundation for Reason and Science. And um, a very frequent yeah, speaker at skeptical events and yeah. author of very good critical thinking books. Yeah. So the quote goes as this. 
Science may be weird and incomprehensible, more weird and less comprehensible than any theology, but science works. It gets results. Mm. It can fly you to Saturn, slingshotting you around Venus and Jupiter on the way. We may not understand quantum theory, heaven knows I don't, but a theory that predicts the real world to 10 decimal places cannot in any straightforward sense be wrong. Oh, He's definitely good in so pitting, good. Pitting, putting things into words. <laughs> yeah, he is. He has been very successful in stirring up some political controversy as well recently, in recent years. But we're not here to discuss that. Actually, we're here to close the show. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to thank you, Annika, for joining me today. Thank you. Let's all hope that Pontus will be up and running soon and uh, be able to join us uh, uh, for the next the the special episode uh so don't forget dear listeners 22nd of november sunday 8 p.m central european time stay tuned and uh watch our live channel on uh facebook but this has been our show for this week thanks to our listeners for tuning in please keep doing so and until next week goodbye Tschüss. Islat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Shrub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. But thank you very much. Thank you to everyone for listening. Um, uh, this has been our show. No. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>